tuned into the Vel News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer. Before we get to this week's show, a message from our friends at Health IQ. Spencer, question for you. Are mm. you familiar with the concept of double secret training? We don't talk about that, Fred. That's right. That's when you go out and you do some really hard training, but you don't have it public on Strava or any of those other social media sites so that your opponents, in this case your friends, can't see how hard you're giving it. Are you, you, you ever done any of that? Oh, well, I saw you going out at uh, sort of sunset yeah. last week. You had the lights on. Yeah, you're just uh, right. creeping around in your kit. You're, you're definitely on that program already, Fred. I That's, can tell. It's true. That's the only way to get fast and to keep it in the dark, so to speak. But here's the thing. Even if you're double training, you don't want your friends to see how hard you're giving it, you can always share that information with our good friends at Health IQ by sharing screenshots of your Strava, Garmin Connect, whatever site you use. And there's a real bonus here, because if you share those screenshots and you qualify as a healthy individual, you can get a great rate on life insurance. All you have to do, go to a handy URL. That's right, Fred. HealthIQ.com slash VeloNews. Just head there, get your free quote on life insurance. It's HealthIQ.com slash VeloNews. So no matter if you're a double secret trainer like myself, a very public one, Health IQ has something for you. Okay, on with the show. You're tuned into the Bell News Podcast. It's Fred Dreyer here with Spencer Paulison in the lovely no-winter town of Boulder, Colorado. Mm, ski season officially canceled. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I can't remember the last time that I was riding in shorts into early December and not having any of those feelings like, oh my gosh, my appendages are going to freeze and fall off. Spencer, did you go ride your bike this weekend? I did, yeah. yeah we're spoiled. We're definitely spoiled, but probably need that snow eventually though so it's not doesn't feel quite right to be able to do those rides in december well and here's the thing we are that whenever december is warm that just means that winter is going to rage on until like early june so i guess all of the boulder pros they're just going to be out of shape in 2018 call it now yeah bet against a boulder pro stay tuned to the the vela news podcast for our may episode when we start complaining about the five foot snowstorm we got we have on the line our european correspondent our european investigative journalist gregor brown gregor what's going on over there in italy there i am boys i mean you guys are talking about the skiing there but uh, we had some fresh snow falling in the abatone ski run last weekend and it's around to about three degrees celsius which is probably what about in in americani terms it's about 37 and that's uh here in florence where i live and um so it's quite chilly i'm out there in my bib tights the thermal bib types tights already uh, training with the the boys on the weekend. No secret training for me though. It's all uh, it's all above board. Oh. And uh, yeah. So anybody who needs to ski, come on over to Abitone. Yeah. Are you a big apre guy, Gregor? You going up there and having your uh, aperitifs before shredding oh, the pow yeah. with the uh, the bobo <laughs> members of the European upper cl- ski class. <laughs> I'm definitely, uh, you'll see me aperitivo hour, which just gently drifts into dinner time and then just goes into kind of fades into a black, which is just towards bedtime. <laughs> tough I'm, life. It's real tough life. I'm, all I'm going right. to say yeah, is that brutal. I have seen Gregor off-piste before. <laughs> I have seen Gregor go off-piste at these races. All right, guys, we have a good show to get to because we have lots more Giro d'Italia topics To talk about, last week we had Gregor on to talk about the prospects of Chris Froome racing the Giro d'Italia. As we all know, Gregor was correct. Yeah, Gregor, nice job. And Chris Froome... I got my gelato money. I think we're talking about that. You won all your gelato money, won it back. I corrected one of my my friendly Twitter followers who who brought up this whole gelato thing, and, and I just could not live with the guilt anymore. And I finally had to admit, the guys, I really don't like gelato or what we say, ice cream. (laughs) not a sweet tooth tooth. I I like it but you just don't see me eating many gelatos and I think in in the 13 years in Italy I've had mm, approximately 25 gelati what the next episode you're going to tell us you don't like pasta Gregor come on no 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 pasta is on the cards as well as vino rosso and that's that's what I got nearby right now for this podcast so we in addition to talking about Froome's participation and some of the wild takes that have been flying around the internet with that. We want to talk about 
the Giro d'Italia's route, because last week on Wednesday, the Giro organizers released the route, and it's, it's a cracker. It's difficult. So we are going to look at some of the stages that are probably going to uh, decide the overall. Plus, we got to talk about mm. the other big news story that came about last week, which is that Tom Dumoulin, defending champion. Oh, remember that guy? That guy. Oh, that guy. If a Tom poops in the woods, does anybody hear a sound? If it's on RCS, yes. They'd. He's going to race bringing a whole new great news story to this year's Giro d'Italia. So guys, before we get into it, are we ready to say 2018 Giro d'Italia best race of the season? Mm. Well, guys, I, I was on the phone with the cycling director RCS today, Mauro Vigny, uh-huh. um, and, he, and he said, you know, so, some years are, are good, some not so much. And uh, he said 2018 looks to be a firecracker with, you know, the participants, namely Froome, that's, uh, that we'll see starting off in Jerusalem. Excellent. So guys... I figured a good place to start this discussion is with a topic that we've talked about numerous times over the last few months, which is the trend going on in Grand Tours. And that, of course, is the trend to include one or two short, punchy stages, the Formigal-style stage, named after the 2016 Vuelta stage to Formigal that just totally upended that race. And the idea is that having a short, punchy stage creates chaos. It creates the excitement that fans want to see. Oh, God, we just fawn over these short stages. The Tour de France had one this year. And a quick look at the 2018 Giro route reveals exactly zero short, punchy <laughs> stages. Zero. Gregor, yeah. question for you. What's going on here? Is the Giro just too cool for school? Or are they, what are they, traditionalists? They don't want to get on this trend? Well, guys, I mean, we can't have, you know, we can't have a cookie cutter route every year where we have, everybody has one short stage, everybody has the time trial stage. And, you know, you hear the Italians, they're saying, you know, Gino Bartoli's rolling over in his grave because we don't have a stage going through Tuscany. And you hear the other guys complaining that uh, we don't have a stage up in the Dolomites. Like we've had a couple great years, you know, starting two years ago with Esteban Chavez winning that stage in sunny Dolomites. We get near the Dolomites this year with the Zonkalon stage. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the short stages, they're good and they've proven they've proven just so exciting. And, you, we, you know, you talk about the Formigal stage and that was a stage that Froome, he lost control of the Vuelta España when he had it in his, in, in his hands. We all thought he was going to win that, that uh, 2016 Vuelta España and Nairo Quintana got it. So, I mean, they're great stages, but, you know, let's not get stuck into a formula. Let's not expect uh, everything's always going to go how we expect it to be. And so that's that's what we got. Is that we got the RCS uh, presentation on, on Wednesday there at the Milan at the Rai TV studios. I mean, I got to say that I feel like they're missing the boat and not having at least a slightly shorter stage, maybe something in the neighborhood of 100 to 125 kilometers. Of course, this year's Tour de France has this crazy short 65 kilometer stage maybe that's too extreme but i mean you know like any grand tour we've got these mountainous stages where they start pretty far out and there's kind of a long approach and to me it's like hey let's just cut off the first 50k of this existing route and make for at least one of these days to have a slightly different rhythm to it because you know there's a lot of long stages in this year's Giro route in the 2018 Giro route i'm with you spencer i've liked the experimentation going on with the grand tours to yeah. throw in the shorter stages you know this year's tour de france i believe it was stage 13 came either the day after or two days after Paragoods, where uh, Froome lost the yellow jersey. And it was really interesting to see Sky and Froome have to go on the offensive on this short day. That was the day that Contador attacked with Landa. Then Froome hung back and took time, took turns like shattering and trying to attack Aru. It didn't ultimately do it and get him the yellow jersey, but it made for some really great bike racing watching. So Gregor, I'm curious though, is this, what do we chalk this up to? Is this traditionalism? Is this, you know... Well, if it was traditionalism, we, we may have, you know, a few 250-kilometer stages and, and split stages where you have two road stages in the same day and maybe one, possibly two rest days. Now, we got three rest days and plenty of stages that are around 170 kilometers. And just hearing you talk about last year's, you know, or the summer's Tour de France, uh, it does get me excited again for the short stages. And looking over the list of stages here, maybe I should go back on what I said before. I mean, you have 21 stages, so maybe it would be nice to have a, a shorter stage in there, a shorter road stage. I mean, I guess the only thing there is that, you know, the guy, our listeners on the East Coast, uh, you know, have an early coffee, 
see what's going on in the race, see the break go, and then go out for a bike ride and come back and, you know, on the weekends, see the finish of some of these big mountain stages. That is very true. It is much more friendly to American viewers when you can <laughs> kind of ignore the first two hours of racing before it actually heats up. Yeah. I mean, I got to wonder if this route, given that there aren't any of these unpredictable short stages, is just going to be much easier for Team Sky and Chris Froome to win. Well, uh, um, Vinny says that he hopes that and he thinks that the teams will come prepared to light it up early uh, in the first week of the Giro, given that they have a Chris Froome on the start line, knowing that they can't afford to just take him into the third week and let him do his thing uh, in the mountains and in the time trial. So that if, if we see a Vincenzo Nibali on the line, um, we will see a Fabio Aru from Team UAE Emirates on the line. Like A guy like Aru is going to have to, to light it up early on because otherwise... On paper, he's not going to win the Giro against Chris Froome. I mean, who else? Perhaps Valverde is going to lead Movistar. So these type of guys will they'll give it a go against Chris Froome because they know they they have to. It's uh, that's going to be the only only way. It's attacking some of these early stages like Etna, which is a that uh, the Versante, as they say in Italian. Beside that, they're taking up Etna, the the always rumbling volcano in, on the island of Sicily, the land of mafia, the land of the land of uh, spaghetti and uh, it's, whoa, it's new, whoa, Gregor, where are you going? <laughs> it could be, it could be uh, quite explosive to use the term. Early on in the race, they're doing this Monte Vergine, and that's typically a stage where we see ten guys finishing together. So we're not going to see much, much difference on that summit finish. But uh, we could see it. I think it's on the next day already on the um, the, the Gran Sasso. Well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here, Gregor. Let's start with Etna. So they're, well, they're okay. going to have to light it up early on. Early right. On. That's, that's, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let's start with Etna. So you're saying this approach, yeah. this is different than last year's, right? Because they yeah. did Mount yeah. Etna yeah. last and, year in the Giro. So is this a harder yeah, approach? A good, well, yes. I talked to, what's his name? Paulo Tiralongo, who who will be going to UA Emirates with uh, Fabio Aru as a, as a trainer. He just recently retired, and, and he's from uh, Seracusa. He knows the the mountain quite well. He trains up there, and and there's different roads, and, and that one there should be quite challenging. I haven't I haven't never been up that side. I've been up different sides when Contador won, and then last year we had one of the Astana guys went up there. So yeah, I mean that could, we could see early splits there already. Yeah, to me this seems like a route where you're not going to be winning the Giro d'Italia in the first week, but there's definitely potential to see your chances at winning the Giro d'Italia go away real quickly because of some of these challenging days. And the sense it's the Giro, and we know there's going to be chaos and probably some crashes and maybe some foul weather. Is it safe to say that week one of the Giro is all about just avoiding calamity? I mean, that's that's kind of a mild take because that's the way it always is with Grand Tours. But just with some of these stages in here, it seems like there's ample amount of opportunities for people to just get hosed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to be hosed and you don't want to be, you know, clipping a, a police motorbike in the, in the first week, week and a half and uh, just seeing your G-Row go up in smoke. So that's going to be the key for, for a lot of those guys getting through the first half of the Giro d'Italia so they can make it to what they're calling the tapone, you know, the, 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 these big mountain stages. And when it's going to be interesting to see what kind of team Sky brings is, you know, they're going to have a B captain for Chris Froome. Because what I'm hearing is that Thomas will go directly to the Tour de France, Darren Thomas. So it'll be interesting to see what lineup they choose as well. And Gregor, getting back to what you were starting to talk about there a moment ago, uh, into stages eight and nine. Those are kind of mm. interesting stages to me. One of them finishes uh, Montevergine, I think, is what it's called or something like yep. that. And Gran Sasso yep. is the stage Mount nine. The Vir- Mountain of the Virgins. Ah, very nice. <laughs> and then the next day is uh, Imperiore Gran Sasso. And that that should be a good one. Uh, again, Montevergine, we probably won't see too many changes in the GC there. But pretty gradual climb, that. right? Yeah, it looks yeah, pretty gradual. You should see him on Sunday. The uh, Grand Sasso, yeah, that's a that's a pretty it's a pretty long climb at the end there, and it's a long day as well at 224 kilometers. To me, these are kind of trap stages where uh, you, you look at them on paper, and yeah, they're mountainous and hard, but it's not you're not going up you know the Stelvio or some crazy mountain that everybody knows about. I, I just am not at all familiar with these climbs, to be honest. Well, these are trap territories. I mean, anything. Anything down here in central Italy, we're talking uh, the Abruzzo, the Umbria regions, Marche regions, and again this year they're not going through Tuscany. But these are these are areas where the, the, 
you're up and down all the time. You're left and right. And uh, if you're not racing in the first 15, I mean, you're going to get caught out. Someone's going to get caught out. And so, yeah, you sit at right, Spencer. These are, these are trap stages. So the big, big, big first obstacle, well, other than Aetna, is Zonkalan. And that comes stage 14. This is the first time since, what, 2014 that the Giro's been back at Zonkalan. And what I remember about that 2014 stage of Zonkalan, I was watching it, and it was completely bonkers because Michael Rogers was riding along with his poor Italian, what was it, Francesco Bongiorno. You knew that Rogers was going to take the win, but you just hoped it was like a good battle. And then some Italian fan pushed Bongiorno, like gave him the old like, I'll push you up the hill. And he pushed him too hard, and he ran into Rogers' rear wheel, came unclipped, and, like, that was it. That was the gap. Yeah, yeah, So, Kate, crazy Tifosi on Zonkalan, if you're listening to the VeloNews podcast, which I'm sure you are, just, like, mild pushes this year, mild butt pushing, (laughs) you know? Keep it to uh, just a dull roar on that one. Doesn't that always bring you back to that memory of, um, was it uh, Alp de Wes with uh, Giuseppe Guarini? yeah. Yeah, who, who got knocked over by the fan out there in the road uh, taking a photo, I think it was. I yeah. mean, that was kind of first thing. We, we could probably do it or someone else already put the, together the top ten. This, that was yeah, he had the point-and-shoot uh, camera. I've always okay. wondered if there was the actual photo out there of, like, Giuseppe Garini's uh, yeah. face just and, you know, just right in the <laughs> camera lens. And the guy's like, oh, it's the best picture ever. So, Gregor, what's your analysis of this uh, Zonkalan stage and Zonkalan's just overall ability to shake up the race and be a big obstacle for Chris Froome? Well, it's just, naturally speaking, it's, it's, it's so breathtaking because you get these beautiful helicopter shots um, and you see the fans lined up and they're usually respectful and also, we see the the mountain security force out, uh, Alpinini. With the Robin Hood uh, hats. Yeah, those guys. They got yeah, the Robin Hood the, hats. The, the, the feather, yes. the feather in their, cap, their Love khaki it. Cap, uh, caps. Yeah. And they, hand in hand, they line each side of the road. I mean, so it's, it's just beautiful. And it's, it's, a, it's a natural theater. You know, it's, it's this Wrigley filled up a side of a mountain. So I just racing aside, you just get this beautiful mountain shot, this helicopter shot that the region loves. I mean, don't forget... The big thing, the big thing that we, the big reason we have cycling races is to promote regions, and this is this is promoting a region up there. It's just it's just beautiful, and and the Zonkalan stage, which I think the two Tapone this year in 2000, 2018 is the Tapone stage is Zonkalan, and then the the Finestre stage to uh, Jafferu on stage uh, nineteen. Both of those both of those stages have the key climbs that are relatively new climbs, and then that Jaff, uh, stage goes over the Colle della Finestre, the gravel climb. But man, this Zolkal on stage—it's—it's it's, uh, it's a humdinger because we're—I think we have like four thousand meters of climbing total that day. Yeah, and you guys are going to translate that into feet for me. And then we got like twenty-two percent grades on that final climb, and and those guys they just struggle up that climb, but it's—it's it's just it's beautiful. And, and that's where even Basso made his comeback after uh, his doping suspension, and and we've seen some other great racing up there. You mentioned Mick Rogers. And so we're going to see a cool race, and I think we're going to see, you know, the old Vroom Vroom uh, just take off up there, and that'll be cool. I mean, it'll be good for his status. Uh, or, you know, even if he doesn't win the stage, we're going to see some cool racing. So this stage is, for me, an example of what I was talking about earlier with these shorter stages and other Grand Tours. You look at this, it starts uh, San Vito out Tagliamento, never heard of it. Um, I mean, I get that they have different contracts with towns to host the starts and the finishes, but if you look at it, you've got one kind of smallish king of the mountains climb early on about 40k in and you don't really have anything until another you know 60 kilometers so if you just cut the first part of this race and you started before uh the really you, you really get into the meat of the mountains you would have these three kind of nice categorized climbs and then the uphill finish at Zonkalan and it would be, you know, about a hundred kilometer stage. To me, that would be really exciting, but unfortunately they're starting way the heck out in the valley and you have to go all the way up to it. And, and it just, to me is, uh, it's a lost opportunity. Gregor, do you have uh, Mauro Vanny's contact info? Flip it over to Spencer. He's got some hot yeah, takes I mean, maybe on Maybe we could uh, patch him stages. in, patch yeah. him in, come, come yeah, on the pod to discuss. Just, yeah. It'd be like, Hey man, yeah, maybe they could just, you know, put you in as the first uh, non-Italian race director there. Spencer yeah. sounds like, you know, you're, 
you're, you're, you're sending in your application. You better give Fred your notice. There yeah, yeah. Step one, <laughs> cut off the first 100K. Okay, yeah, who cares about this town that start? Nah, nobody cares about that one. We'll start, uh, start another town. Okay. <laughs> My favorite Zonkalon memory is indeed Basso just giving it to poor Cadell Evans uh, in his yeah, comeback. Yeah, Cadell Evans, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's it was a good battle. It was like the um, smooth, very high cadence style of Basso versus Cadell Evans, who seemed to be like pedaling in at 39.23 out of the saddle at like the lowest RPMs ever. But that was a great battle. Yeah. Uh, moving on, because the next day we have another cracker of a stage, and this is stage 15, which goes up to Zapata, another multi-categorized climb day, a little shorter, 178 Ks. Actually, this one's a little bit more lumpy. Do, do we think this one is going to impact the overall? Yeah, well, they're all going to, yeah. because we're going to see something happen on each day. But this, you know, you're getting a good view. I believe this is one we're going to get a good view of the Dolomites off in the distance, even though we're not going into the Dolomites. And the guys are going to have the Zonkolan stage, 4,000 meters of climbing in their legs. And some guys are going to be thinking about the time trial in two days' time. And we're getting in deep into the race, and so guys are going to start to look at their positions in the overall and think about what they have and exactly how, how far they can go and, and kind of be realistic. So we're going to see a lot of chess playing on, on this stage. What strikes me about this one is the final 40 kilometers. There's three climbs categorized in an uphill finish and really no flat at all. Mm. It's just up, down, up, down, up, down. And to mm. me, that could be a, a pretty exciting way to end this stage, given that um, they'll have a lot of riding in their legs by that point. They could be pretty fatigued. Uh, moving on, stage 19, big crusher stage. This is the one to Jeffrau. The big obstacle today, the Col della Finestra, which I just love this climb. Every time they go to it, it produces such good photos. The dirt. Gravel's so on gravel. trend. It's, so on trend oh, right no, now. It's just people Industry are, loves it. Like just we, so trendy. Like we said with the Tour de France pod, people are going to be wearing their fanny packs with their like mm. 32 millimeter mm -hmm. tires. Maybe some front suspension going on. Frame pumps. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Be real cool. <laughs> Super cool. It's going to be a good stage. You know, normally they finish in Sestriere with kind of a gentle, I think it's like a four, maybe seven kilometer climb up there. And so now they're, they're still going up there past the tower, dropping down and then through the valley again. And I think what's the town at the base is Bardonecchia. And then, and then, yes, it is. The, uh, oh, Bardonecchia. Great. And which they have some nice, so saunas, uh, natural spas up there. So check them out if you're up in the area. And, and so there, it just shoots straight up to Jaffaru. So it's going to be a serious stage when the downfall of this stage, we have the finestre kind of earlier on, but it's going to be pretty cool to, to see what happens with the gravels and, and all the tech talk and you know, how guys are gearing and what they're doing. What do you know about this Jaffaru uh, climb, Gregor? I mean, it's uh, it's kind of a new addition, correct? It's steep early on, from what I can tell on the profile. Got a little 14% ramp really early on the climb. I'm trying to think back who won there the last time we were there. Was it Batalin, Enrico Batalin? It's, it's you a just made one. that it's name up. Come on, Gregor. Yeah, you that's did, not that, a real guy. You just guy. made that name <laughs> up. Come on. for Lotto ML. Now, he's this Italian. He raced for... Uh, What's it, the uh, Bardiani before? And he got All right. Contract. We'll fact check you. We'll fact check uh, you on pro cycling Rico stats Batalin. in a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Not related to the Batalin, you know, the Batalin bicycles. Um, Bardiani guy. So, huh. mm. yeah, was, was that our last winner there? Bardiani we guy. Should, we should huh. really do some research before we roll off this podcast. It, it's it's another short and steep finish, but you're not going to need you're not going to need long ones at this point, stage 19 in, in the Giro d'Italia. You're not going to need long ones to make a big difference because no one's going to have much punch left in, in their legs. Speaking about much less left in the legs, the final day, which is the penultimate stage of the Giro, stage 20, which finishes at Servinia, is just a, bludge a, a slow bludgeoning with a dull object. It's ridiculous. Stage. It's ridi 214 kilometers Duh. in three categorized climbs in the final half. Did you say it's like 5,000 meters a climb? 4,000 meters a climb? 4,500, I think, is what I recall, just off the top of my head. Cool. That's Really, really that's so much climbing. That's a ridiculous amount of climbing. Um, and then it finishes with this cl climb to Servinia, which doesn't appear to be particularly steep, but it comes after a big ol' as, as a cat one right beforehand. So they're going to be doing a, a double up. And that's it. That's going to decide the Giro. Well, I don't think that stage yeah. will decide the Giro. Yeah. No, nah, I don't think From so. There, well, 
Yeah, I mean, we had a good one um, in 2016 where Nibley got it on the last mountain stage against Chavez, who had the pink jersey after Cruz were quote, lost in the snowbank uh, a couple of days before, the day before. I mean, uh, that's what the organizers might hope to see. Yeah, Spencer, I mean, maybe we're going to have it decided uh, on that Jafferu stage. Um, I, I just think of this last stage is too hard to decide the Giro. Everyone's going to be so cooked. Yep. And the guys who are the, at the front are going to remain the guys at the front. I, I think this Giro gets decided in the time trial so uh, halfway he, through. Yeah. And they were careful not to make that too long because they were a little worried it could have too much of an effect on the overall. Uh, I mean, Dumoulin, uh, we could safely argue that he... He won the Giro d'Italia with with a strong ride in both of those longer time trials last year. This, excuse me, this this May and the Giro both in, from Monza to Milan, and then the one midway through where he nearly pipped uh, Garrett Thomas for the for the stage win. So um, here's an interesting ahead, yeah segue into the next part of the discussion, which is looking at the contenders. You know, Dumoulin, Froome, uh, some of these other guys. When it comes to Froome, we've seen him now win Tours de France over the last two stage two years that weren't really death march style tours. They were very, uh, they were like tours where you had to have like pincer moves in the right specific moments to gain small amounts of time and then wait for the time trial to really perform. Now, when I look at this year's Giro d'Italia, it's not the hardest Giro in memory, but it is a hard Giro. There's a ton of climbing. There's a lot of really long stages and a lot of stages where there's long grinding climbs. So from an effort perspective, this is going to be sort of a new hurdle for, not a new hurdle for Froome, but like a different type of effort for Froome. This is going to be the effort where you are holding on for dear life over climb after climb, saving some in the tank and then having to perform um, on a big, long, grinding climb. Now, this is the type of effort we saw Chris Froome do really well at in his first two and three Tours de France win, wins, or his first two Tours de France wins. But the last two, it has struck me as the Tour has been, you know, more um, focused around specific little moments. So I think it's going to be an interesting test for Froome because it's just not efforts that we've been seeing from him uh, in a few years. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're, we're looking at Froome perhaps uh, at his prime or very close to his prime. So aren't we wondering when, when he'll reach his peak and, and, and then when he'll start to kind of fade as well. And this, this year is going to be a true test of character for him. And also it's, it's going to build him up as a, a true champion as well if he pulls it off or comes close I mean, we're all going to give him praise for that and that's going to come off the off the hills of the Tour de France and the Vuelta but it's going to be it's going to be challenging because uh, I mean we're looking at different type of racing more nervous we're looking at different type a uh, different time of year when uh, the pollens are different and people's allergies are are going on and so it's going to be a true test for Chris Froome, and, and we're looking we're looking at different competitors as well. You have Fabio Aru, who, who's at the Tour de France, but in the, the Giro d'Italia, he's racing at home on home soil. So a lot of things are going to be different for Chris Froome, and, and and those climbs are going to be a different sort of test. Now he's tested the, the Finestre, he's tested Zoncolon, so he's going to know these climbs, and he's going to be ready though. So. The, that's a good segue to a next part of the question, which is Froome and the Giro participation itself. Like last week, Gregor, you broke the news that Chris Froome is participating in the Giro. And in the ensuing days, there've been lots of takes going around the internet about why this is a good thing or why this is an awful thing. Before we get to those, though, one of the little news bits that's been bandied about is the potential that Chris Froome is getting paid a start fee to participate in this year's Giro. Now, Mauro Vendi w- went publicly and said, no, 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 no riders get start fees, nothing to see here, no money for participation. Uh, Gregor, based on what you know about Italian cycling, the Giro d'Italia, et cetera, what's your take? Did, did Froome, uh, did he wet the beak a little bit? Did he line his wallet <laughs> with some well, uh, euros? I mean, of course he's getting paid to go to the Sun Tour in January in, in Australia. Guys get paid to go to the Tour Down Under. You don't think it would happen in the Grand Tour like the Giro d'Italia, but it's happened before with with Lance Armstrong, who they made a, a $1 million donation to his Livestrong Foundation, so it was an indirect payment, and, and I don't know where the money went to after it went to his foundation. Uh, I think it went uh, to the yellow bands, actually. Yeah, making yeah, all them yeah. rubber bands. Yeah. That's, that's not <laughs> cheap. Was, yep. 
no, the rubber factories, they like payments in advance. <laughs> and, and so we, we, it's also been done before where we see riders and teams come in with like, uh, perhaps like an extra bus, you know, uh, like one of these catering buses or VIP bus that always parks, parks beside their bus. So those are arrangements where maybe RCS picks up the tab. And so the team benefits. So it's, it's kind of an indirect payment now. Chris Froome is the highest caliber rider in, in years, and so... Also we're, highest we're, caliber bus. Let's not forget the bus. Highest caliber yeah, bus, that Team Sky yeah. uh, Death Star. And they, don't, they don't need an extra bus. I mean, well, they already have a fleet of vehicles, and that's been the topic of discussion before. He, he's going he's gonna to demand a, a certain sort of... Maybe it's not a demand. I mean, RCS is good business, too, because, look, it, if they had to pay for him, and I think they have, uh, the RCS is saying, no, they didn't. And even Marl Vigneault today, when I was talking to him, I never asked him the question, but he, he said, look, if you're talking about payments, and I wasn't talking about payments, and he just said, again, we did not pay him. It's always been, you made the decision on a sporting level, and that's that. But it's good business because, look, RCS is trying to is trying to grow this race. They want more publicity. They want to be getting closer to what the Tour de France has. And the only way they can do that is bring in the stars. And the stars... Like Chris Froome, the reason they go to the Tour de France year after year is because it's huge for the team, it's huge publicity, and it's, it's of course, it's the biggest race, but it's also very important for the team, for the sponsors to win at the Tour de France. And, and the only way the Giro and, the, uh, and these other races can compete with it is if they have some sort of other incentive. And if they bring Froome in and they get Froome to race this year and they pay him a little bit of money, then it could see kind of a shifting and balance of things to come in the future, and that's huge for RCS Sport. Now, where does the money come from? Israel is paying around $10 million by my estimates, talking to sources. And this is may seem like a lot, but we think Sardinia paid, in the island of Sardinia, which is where the Giudicai, the 100 Giudicai, started this May, they paid around $5 million, I think. That all went to RCS, and then RCS out of, out of that has to pay for expenses like ferry rides and airplanes for the riders to get there. And all these your transfers. buffet fee, Gregor. They pay for your buffet, buffet fee, fee too. which is pretty large. I mean, we're looking at like uh, probably that's about a quarter of their their start starting uh, fee that the host city has to pay. So <laughs> now uh, Israel is, is seriously trying to push its tourism. So. It's big business for them to get the Giro there. First Grand Tour ever to start outside of Europe, out of the Vuelta, Tour of Spain, the Tour of France, and the Tour of Italy. On top of that, we have another around $2 million that's not coming from RCS. It's coming from local organi- organizers, the Israelis. This is what I'm ga- gathering. Uh, I'm not sure it's, it's 100% certain, but this is, this is kind of the idea. And so it's a win-win for RCS because they're not actually paying for Christopher. It's, they're, they're getting someone else to pay for them. So, mm. so everybody's happy. Everybody's it's just, it's happy. Just slip, it's, a, it's a slippery slope because, as even Mauro Vigny said the other day in his defense, he said, well, you know, if I do that, then what's going to happen when, you know, cyclist Joe Blow comes up to me in the next year and says, hey, well, you're paying Chris Froome this much money. I want to be paid yeah. some money. To I got some race. town line sprints yeah. on my resume, man. Joe Blow's a good climber. Real fast uh, cat yeah. three. Yeah. I want to race the Giro. Like, what did he win? Joe Blow won the 2015 VA. She was up there in Lombardia. <laughs> uh, you know, he races for Bardiani. I would watch out for that guy. <laughs> uh, Spencer, I think that my new assignment up. for you is going to be monitoring Chris Froome, the Froome family's purchases over the next few months. Okay. Uh, maybe if Chris Froome <laughs> gets like a diamond embedded in his tooth oh. or maybe some real fancy tattoos or fast cars, then our suspicions may be, I don't know. Verified? Verified. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. true. He buys an island off the coast of Dubai. Either way, I think it's great that he's participating. But the internet, not in uh, not in agreement on that one. Mm. There have been some takes flying around about whether or not Chris Froome's inclusion and decision to ride this year's Giro, a good thing or a bad thing. We're going to get those to those takes after a quick break. <laughs> Uh, okay, bonus podcast. We're back. We're going to talk about the Froom takes because there's so many Froom takes. We've had a number of them on the site. First of all, before we get into these Froom takes, Spencer, what's your take? Mm. I think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna finish. Yeah, I think he's gonna maybe crash out halfway through or have something come up. I just don't. I don't think uh, Froom's gonna make it to the end. That is a prediction, not a take. Oh, what is your take? All right. Well, good, good or bad. Very political, <sighs> binary. I think it's. I think it's good. I think 
having the top rider of a generation, he, he, he should be branching out. He should try for a, a variety of races. He shouldn't strictly focus on the Tour de France. I think that gets a little repetitive, a little boring. I, I, I think you should spread it around. And um, heck, let's see him, uh, let's see him out of Paris-Roubaix. Let's, let's mix it up a little for him. Uh, you know, yeah, the Tour de France isn't all, isn't all cycling, isn't all the cycling offers. You know, let's do the Giro. Let's do like Paris-Roubaix. Let's do some weird stuff. Maybe mountain bike, marathon, world championships. I don't know. Let's just go crazy. That fixie race where they raised over like a volcano in Mexico. I'd love to see him do that. Uh, I don't know that one. Um, I'm with you. You know, Taiwan. Yeah, Taiwan KOM Challenge. Ah, it'd be too easy for him. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) There was Um, a cycle cross there. I'm with you. You know, when I, the more and more I thought about this, and there's been a lot of opinions thrown around about there about, oh, Chris Froome trying to do the Giro Tour double harkens back to cycling's go go doping days, and the last guy to do it and win was Pantani. And what are, you know, what are we trying to prove here? Is this too great of a challenge? And I definitely respect and see that argument. I don't want cycling to try and flirt with, you know, the hyper juice doping days of 10 or 15 years ago. I'm not so sure if I see Chris Froome's attempt at the Giro Tour double, though, indicative that cycling is, like, dirty to the bone because the best guy, the generational rider, is trying something new. First of all, uh, you know, there is the potential for a 2 million euro or a several million euro payment, allegedly. Uh, not not confirmed, but allegedly. I mean, that's, that's a huge boon for any rider. That would represent a huge uh, monetary increase for him the year. You can't begrudge any pro athlete, in my opinion, for taking money as a sport, it's business, that's what you do. Uh, The second of it is, is that there is the spectacle of it. He's an athlete, his job is to entertain fans. Chris Froome's entire purpose of being on this earth right now is for fan entertainment and fan adulation. He is a professional cyclist, and that, as we as fans, that is our entertainment, is seeing what he is capable of doing. So I feel like the more entertaining that he can be, the more challenges that he creates for himself, the more he is serving the people who follow him. I mean, Evil Knievel like, tried to jump a rocket ship across this uh, big river in the 1970s, and he crashed into it and almost died. You might want to check that story. I don't think that's... Wasn't it a, motor, it was like a motorcycle? Like, well, there was the motorcycle, motorcycle one, but there was a rocket. He like rocketed across this river, <laughs> the Snake River, I think, and he fell into it and almost died. And okay. it was just like, whatever, man, I'm evil Knievel. I'm an entertainer. This is what I do. And so I applaud this streak and Froome of saying, okay, I'm an entertainer. I'm going to go after the Giro d'Italia, the race that maybe doesn't suit me. Chapeau, Froome. The evil Knievel approach. Yeah, he's going for the evil... He's going for the... the he's YOLOing, man. This is like the Froome version of YOLO. Gregor, what that's, do you think? You got a take? That, that inspired Elton John's Rocket Man song, I think, the evil Knievel <laughs> jump that you're referring back to, uh, Fred Dreyer. Now, look, you guys had the binary responses. Yes, yes. And we're going to go three for three. I mean, yes. I mean, it's a good thing. What, what, you know, why, why would you argue against it? Uh, you'd be out of your mind. And, uh, you know, no offense to those Twitterati arguing against it. But you're out of your mind, you know, and it doesn't harken back to the Batani uh, EPO fueled you know, doping days. Maybe it harkens back to uh, Eddie Merckx So you know, some of these other guys that have done it. I mean, this is this is great. And uh, we're going to see Chris Froome. You know, I think we all agree he's, he's the greatest Grand Tour rider right now. And he's going to he's going to go for a, a challenge that, that very few have ever had and won three Grand Tours in a row. And then he's setting himself up for a double as well. So this is just incredible. How can you not like it? And uh, and also it it goes it goes against all those guys. I don't know. Maybe it gives them more firepower. I don't know what they're thinking. But there's a lot of bad press about Team Sky. And and Froome has done much much in the last uh, couple of years to give himself the good spin. Always been available to the press and, and being proactive when Sky is going through all the TUE gate and uh, the Jiffy bag gate. All these things. So Chris Froome has come out okay in all this, even in the fancy bears hacking thing, the TUEs just confirmed the things that he already said before by his TUEs. So, I mean, he's really like putting a good spin on himself doing this. And I think, man, there should be no arguments against him doing it. It's, it's, it's positive. It's, it's good for the sport. It's good for cycling. It's good for us journalists too. We're going to love it at the Giro d'Italia. Now, the other issue is, you know, who are the competitors on the start line? Because we're going to want to see kind of a beefed up participation list. Otherwise, 
uh, we're going to see a boring Giro d'Italia as like the the 2016 Tour de France. I mean, that was that was terrible <laughs> until we had like uh, Bardet attacking up uh, Mont Blanc on uh, the penultimate mountain day. I think it was. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna want to examine that start list. So, Gregor, yeah, that was gonna actually ask you about that. Uh, we had mentioned Dumoulin a little earlier in the podcast. I don't think it's like entirely confirmed that he's doing the Giro, right? I mean, there's an, there's these reports, it's but an odd one. yeah, it doesn't doesn't seem like it's nailed down. And I think there's definitely some reason to question whether he'll actually show up in Italy. Yeah, this week on Velenders, we had an article there where I pointed out those three times the Gazette de la Sport they, in three different editions. They said, you know, he's racing, he's racing. The last one was 100%. He's racing. I talked to a, a journalist from Maastricht, uh, where Tom Dumoulin lives, who knows Tom Dumoulin well. He said, it's crazy. Tom Dumoulin's not going to race. And the indicators are from the team that he's going to race the Tour de France. Wilco Kilderman says he wants to lead the Giro team. Ooh, real exciting Wilco. racer, Wilco Kilderman. Spencer's favorite love, athlete. Love watching him race. Wilco. And then, and then, uh, and then help Tom Dumoulin in the Tour de France. So, I mean, the indicators are there. We're going to find out, I think, on the 4th of January when the team presents itself in Berlin. It's a German team, don't forget. We're the Dutch uh, leader on the team there. And I sent a, in a, a text out to Ewan Spiekenbrink, the GM of the team. And um, he, he played, he played. Uh, he kept his cards close to his chest and uh, didn't give out any details. But I was trying to get something out of him. So we don't know. And Tom Dumoulin said his decision's already been made. He said he's not going to do the double. He's going to do one or the other. And he said, I'm not going to tell you guys what you just have to wait till January 4th. So we get, after Christmas, we have something to look forward to, guys. Mm. If you're Tom Dumoulin, what do you do? Come on, you'd be an Tour idiot. Yeah, exactly. You'd be an idiot to do the Giro if you're only going to pick one of those. Because think about it. If I mean, Froome's yeah. going to do both, Froome's going to be he's going to be t- more tired at the Tour de France, one way or the other. Maybe he'll still have a yeah. good race at the Tour, but your best odds of beating Chris Froome are going to be at the Tour if he's going for both. I mean, come on. Even if you're defending your your Giro title, it's just crazy. Like, you, no, just go to the Tour, man. Ah, uh, but here's the counter take to that. What what Dumoulin's, Dumoulin's probably the best time trialist um, yeah. in the books right now to the Grand Tour Stars or period. He won the World Championships there. He gave it a good run. Uh, Cancellara, a good run for his money in Rio. I think Chris Froome's afraid of Tom Dumoulin. Uh, one in the time trials for sure. And then uh, the other is just the, kind of the development of him as a Grand Tour star. And the Tour de France, if we all done our arithmetic, has uh, around 10 more kilometers of time trial than, than the Tour of Italy. Yeah, well, Dumoulin, Dumoulin beat him at Worlds, but but Froome was, I think, a lot more gassed by that point of the season than Dumoulin was. Dumoulin did the Giro. He did a few other odds and ends throughout the summer, but it wasn't like he did the Tour and then the Vuelta like Chris Froome did. I, I don't know if it was a fair fight. Here's my take. Hey, it, counts on, it counts on the day. Who's got the, world, who's got the rainbow jersey? It's Tom Dumoulin. Man. Here's my take. So. so what is more prestigious, to win the Tour de France against a diminished Chris Froome or to go up against a strong Chris Froome in any Grand Tour and topple him. Uh, if Dumoulin is looking for immortality as a Grand Tour racer, which challenge do you think immortalizes him more? Being the first guy to take down a full-strength Chris Froome or being a guy to win the Tour de France when Chris Froome was real tired and full of cannolis? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. good point, Fred. I mean, uh, everybody remembers the 2014 uh, Tour de France with uh, Vincenzo Nibali winning there. There's always, you know, the side note there that well, Chris Froome crashed out. Ah, a win's a win. It's a yellow jersey, yeah, right? I know. I know. You're just repeating what I just said, but yeah. that's the tour to whatever. <laughs> well, Gregor, we appreciate your insight and perspective on all things Italian cycling. All things. Italian everything. Uh, last week we had yeah, you on to yeah. talk about art. This year, this week was cano- uh, this week was gelato and skiing. Oh yeah, Did you, I thought were, were you going to say cannoli there because I know a little bit about cannoli and you know with the Mount Etna stage being in Sicily, we're, we're going to be rolling some cannolis. We'll have to save that <laughs> one for next cannolis. episode. We'll save that for the next yeah. episode, Gregor. If you have a question about Italy for Gregor Brown about cannolis, he is on Twitter. Yeah. We'll look him up. There you go. DM that guy. Uh, thanks, Gregor. <laughs> we'll let you get back to your Thank evening. You. Thank you, boys. All right, Spencer, before we get out of here this week, we have some questions. First up, Ask a Cat 3. Let's hear the questions. Here we go. All right, the first one. If you have an ITT slash stage race with TT coming up, 
it's perfectly okay to get your TT bike training in during group rides, right? Got to get those TT bike miles in somehow. Oh man, this is obviously a triathlete writing this uh, note. He's infiltrated our Twitter feed. Yeah, come on. Well, we have the Tri Russell favorite show show favorite favorite of the show. Okay, so actually for the question, no, look. I'm a cat three. I'm a goofball. I have shaved legs. Sometimes I'll wear one knee warmer and one arm warmer or one leg warmer. I mean, I'm just a complete moron on the bike. But even I know you never bring your TT bike in a group ride ever, ever, ever. Capital E-V-E-R ever. Don't do it. You know what I like to do is with a TT bike, you just keep it in really pristine condition. You just don't ride it until you get to the stage race. That way, you know, it's going to be just dialed. You don't want to wear it out. You know, you don't want to get those tires too worn out or get the chain too worn out. It'll be fine. You just hop right on. It's probably the same. Just measure the satellite. It should be about the same position. What I like to do is go on a a frantic Craigslist or phone calling search like the night before the race asking for clip-ons. Ask your buddies. Hey, 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 man, you have some clip-ons? Oh, man, stupid TTs. All right, next question. Okay, this person is following up on our Ask a Cat 3 from last week. Ooh. So someone had asked us about uh, getting an affordable power meter and whether we should, uh, whether whether they should just buy it online or or how they want to approach it. And so this guy says he took our advice, which is a bad idea for starters. Uh, used his credit card to get a power meter that was used. He says it says I only do 150 watts. So not true. Now, do I get a local bike shop sponsorship or do I uh, get some used parts to fix it or mm-hmm. does he just? quit racing and, and buy a ton of Jinko jeans. All right. I think we got a couple of solutions here. First one, train harder, buddy. You know what? Only 150 watts. Those aren't cat. That's not cat three watts. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you got to have at least 250 watts. So, uh, my advice again, skip work, say goodbye to your wife and kids, prepare for some long days in the saddle right now. It's like late November, early December. Perfect time to be putting in two bigger rides. Definitely. Yep. Just Get in those crazy base miles in the cold, freeze your hands off, whatever. I'd say just do a little math on the side because, hey, you got this power meter. Maybe it's just one of those one-sided power meters. Yeah. How are you going to know? Nobody knows. Multiply it by just two. double it. Double it. Go. Yeah, just a little quick math, and then that should uh, get you cheered up right away. Also, if you're a Cat 3 rider, you should consider yourself a uh, a Cat 3 electric engineer. Oh, yeah. Get, so get in there with get the soldering, there, man. soldering gun. Yeah, get into the soldering gun, some hex wrenches. Just see whatever you can do. Definitely. All right, last one. I live stream winter rides with a selfie stick. That's kind of weird. How else to keep the family close during base miles, question mark? Hmm. <laughs> well, you could get a tandem bike and then a little kid like sidecar thing for the back as well. Um, That's always fun. You could just force your family to come to your cyclocross races and do bottle hand-ups and then berate them afterwards for giving you the wrong bottles. Well, they'd be in the pit. You don't do bottle hand-ups at a cross race, Fred. I do. You're such a cat three. I'm a cat three. God. Uh, Yeah, for that matter, if you're going to bring them along on a tandem, maybe you give them the crappy power meter for their for their their cranks and then you get the new one. Ooh, great idea. Motor pacing with uh mom and junior. Nice. On the scooter in 20 degree weather right in front of you. Mm, I would go with the minivan. Yeah. The minivan will give you a little bigger draft and go a little faster. You can open up the back door and just be like one of those land speed record uh attempts where the Yeah. <laughs> person is nice. Or you could shoot a little film, maybe do your own little Icarus style documentary. Mm, get a little footy. Uh, no, maybe not. Maybe not. Okay. All right. Well, that's Ask a Cat 3. Yeah. Spencer, if the good listeners today have Ask a Cat 3 questions for us, what the, what should they do? Yeah, just tweet us, at VeloNews, hashtag Ask a Cat 3. You could also send us an email, webletters at competitorgroup.com. But let's stick to Twitter, just for brevity. Okay, before we get out of here, we have some off the front, off the back. This is a relatively new feature that we debuted on the Villainous Podcast a few weeks ago. What's off the front? What's off the back? Spencer, we'll start with you. What's off the front right now? Mm, In the last week or so, for me, the biggest off the front is Cam McCall, the mountain biker, riding his mountain bike down Corbett's Couloir, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, big snowy Couloir in the mountains. You should just be skiing that, but he decided to ride a mountain bike. Yeah, that definitely like took the gnar factor to the extreme, especially since last week. I feel like the internet was inundated with like crazy gnar videos of like those wingsuit guys like oh, yeah. going into the airplane. But yeah, Cam McCall skying down Corbett's. I really wonder how many takes 
they had on that one. Mm. I'm assuming it was just a single take and he just nailed it. Yeah, probably. I have a couple off the fronts. Okay. I have one more too, but... Okay, yeah, get, let's get to it. What's your second off the front? Yeah, my second one is uh, Bulls Dolmans. They are going to stick around for at least uh, another couple years here. They're going through 2020. They announced that they've got their sponsorship secure. So good news for women's cycling, especially one of the best women's teams in the in the world. Bad news for all those other riders not on Bulls Dolmans. Touche. Because that team tends to kick everybody's butt. Uh, okay, off the front. Vanderpoles. Mm. Not just Vanderpoel, but Vanderpoles, because Mr. Vanderpoel, Adri's other son. David. David Vanderpoel also won a race. That's right. What was the race that he won? I don't know. Zink and Dinding this, Cross. Uh, and yeah, this thousand. past weekend of cross racing, I think, is a little a little bit toned down from the World Cups that we've had in the last few weeks. I think that everyone's just taking a little bit of a chill before they get into the, yeah, the but Christmas curse period races. I think a lot of them are in Spain, actually. That's the training. thing about the Vanderpool family, though. It's like Matthew takes a week off, boom, David fills right in. Next man up. Wins the race. Exactly. And such a deep bench, those Vanderpools. <laughs> Another off the front, I have world champion Stripes for Matt Shriver, who won a Masters World Championship. Yay, Matt. Yay. In cyclocross. In cyclocross. Uh, Matt works for Trek, but we all raced against him at some, or saw him at some races over the years. Longtime college racer. Finally off the front, Cornhole. That's right. America's favorite bar game, Cornhole, where you throw the beanbag across the room into the hole because... Apparently, uh, great, Alberto, great description. Alberto Contador and his U23 team like hit the bars out in Tucson. This one's from Mike Better's story. Yeah. And they were like, they were playing cornhole. Contador Foundation. Yeah, yeah. check out the story. It's on our website right now. It's a, they do a lot of stuff. It's pretty impressive, actually, what Contador has built in the last four or five years and sort of on the side. You know, we're all watching him race, but he's actually got a lot of other things going on. Plus, how do you explain to a uh, U23 Spanish writer the like complexities of the word and name cornhole? Hmm. Uh, maybe you just hand them the bags and tell them to chuck it at the thing. Yeah, that's for another uh, podcast yeah. episode. All right, what's going? What's off the back though? What's getting dropped? Mm, my off the back, Tom Dumoulin. Oh, he's holding out on us. Oh. He says he's already decided if he's going to do the tour or the Giro, and he's holding out on us. This is. This is bull, bull crap, Tom. I need to know, and I need to know now. We already know Chris Froome's doing the Giro, so out with it. Tell me which race you're doing. This is the only time of the year that Tom Dumoulin will be off the back of anything. Uh, my off the back is hubris. That's right. Ooh. The uh, ninth grade vocabulary word that we all learned while reading uh, Greek tragedies because our former colleague, Kaylee Fretz had a take, a vicious take, in which he said that Chris Froome is full of hubris for attempting the double. Mm. And I just think that's a garbage take. Oh. That's right. Heard it here. Garbage. Uh, okay. Well, that's our show. We would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on velonews.com. Subscribe to the Velonews Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Velonews on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash velonews. The Velonews Podcast is produced by Velonews, which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media. The thoughts and opinions... Yes, even those off-the-back hubris takes expressed on the Velo News Podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout, playing the Bernard Purdy classic, Soul Drums. Soul Drums.